Brooks, that's Colby Clay and the Little Things on Phoenix 98 FM. It is 7.20, a very good morning, and welcome along. Uh, breakfast for Tuesday morning. I make it the 12th of August. Now, uh, what have you got planned next week? What are you doing? Have you got anything exciting coming up? Or well, just so happens, I've got a guy sitting in the studio with me now. And it's kind of a weird thing, because um, Al and I uh, go back probably about 16, 17 years, I would have thought. And we've kind of kept in touch. Facebook, I was travelling and, you know, we were living in different sides of the country, but been keeping tabs. And I've been following a blog um, and some, you know, various posts that he's been putting up about an amazing thing that he's doing next week. Let's say good morning, Al. Good morning. Morning, Greg. Good to see you again. <laughs> How weird is this, though? <laughs> a lot of years. Yeah, it is strange to meet again after all this time, yeah. I know. Um, but, I mean, what great circumstances, in a way, to be meeting as well because you're doing something that I think is absolutely incredible. Um, now, I've already teased it, obviously, and told people what you're doing. You're swimming the channel. <laughs> That's right, yeah. Uh, next week, um, it's, a, it's a strange thing with the channel. It's a, um, often likened to climbing Everest, yeah. um, the scale of the challenge. And another one of the big factors is you're given a window within which you have to complete the challenge. So I have to book a safety pilot. You have to register with a Coast Guard, all of these things. So I've been given a window between Monday and Wednesday. Yeah. Uh, so 18th to 20th. Right, okay. Now, uh, let's touch on the uh, the why, because, I mean, obviously that's, uh, you know, it's a huge thing. Like you say, the scale is comparable to Everest. Um, why why would you be taking that on? What's, what's, the, what's the reason? What's the motivation? Um, well, in 2006, we were told that our son, Harry, was terminally ill. Um, he literally had days to live. Um, this was in Birmingham Children's Hospital up mm. in the Midlands where we live. Um, Harry lived longer than the hospital expected, and we had to be handed over to the care of a local hospice, Acorns Children's Hospice. Yep. Harry eventually lived uh, until he was 10 months old. He died in my arms, but that was after um, specialist palliative care at yep. the cost of around six to seven hundred pounds per day. So estimating, in by my estimates, around a hundred thousand pounds worth of care. Wow. So this challenge is really to try and um, raise as much money. I've set a goal of ten thousand pounds. Um, to try and raise four acorns not so much to pay them back more to ensure that when other families need that sort of palliative care that the hospice is still there yeah the worst thing i could possibly imagine is firstly being told that your child is terminally ill and then straight on the back of that being told there's nothing anyone can do for you and there's no help available so really is to try and make sure that the hospice can continue to provide that care that must have been um i, I mean i can't even begin to imagine because not having been through it but the powerlessness if that's even a word but you know you must feel completely you know like uh, absolutely it's it's totally shocking and devastating you, you literally do not know what to do what to say your legs sink from underneath you you know you told your your tiny little baby harry was seven weeks old at the time you yeah. told he's terminally ill and you look around all the millions of pounds of equipment that are around you and no amount of money no amount of machinery no amount of medicine can make a blind bit of difference yeah and it's at that point it's only the support um, that you can be offered professional support by people. All of the nurses have been through very similar things themselves, so they've all got this sort of empathy level there as well, all there providing the support for you. It's, it's yeah. incredible. It really, I mean, and now you, you're doing this, I mean, obviously, like you say, you can never really, like, uh, it's not about payback, it's about ensuring that no one has to, uh, you know, do that uh, without that support mechanism there. Um, and how, how, how are you doing at the moment with the, with the fundraising? How's that going? Very well, actually. I'm up to seven thousand two hundred pounds uh, towards my goal 
goal of 10,000. I was hoping uh, quietly to hit, hit the 7,000 mark prior to doing the swim, yeah. which I've just managed to do. Had some incredible donations. Yeah. Um, and all that money is, is going to Acorns. Wow. On top of this, um, I had to raise around £3,000 worth of uh, money for the literally the logistics. You're talking the, the pilot boat, the official observer for the channel swim, etc. And I've spent about £3,000 of my own money on professional advice, yep. memberships, travel, accommodation, an incredible amount of money. What a, jo- well, what a journey. I mean, really. I mean, it's like a journey before the main journey. You know, uh, I, I've been following about uh, some of the things that you've had to do in preparation for this as well. I want to touch on that in a little while because um, I think that a lot of people think, oh, great, so you're going to slip your slip your speedos on, off you go, into the coast, swim across. But it's been uh, an incredible journey to get to the level that you need to be at, right? Absolutely. Um, some people train for up to three years for this event. Yep. I, I've been training for 13 months or planning, training, fundraising for 13 months. Yep. And the whole journey, you're correct. In fact, I'm actually being followed by a documentary team. Um, I'm one of several that they're actually making a film on because it's more than just turning up to Dover or Folkestone, yep. jumping in the sea and swimming across. There's so much preparation and organisation that needs to go into it. Yeah. The swim in the channel literally is the tip of the iceberg. And an awful lot of hardship as well. And I'm going to touch on that as a humorous bit in a minute all right because there's a couple of things I, I just cannot believe that you've had to go through so uh welcome al thanks for coming in this morning and joining me to uh, you know talk through your experience thanks it's, it's an honor to have you with me al um obviously the whole preparations that we were talking about um or we touched on you've gone through um well i mean training like you probably couldn't imagine and uh, i i know there's a couple of things uh, that people won't be aware of about uh, channel swimming and the preparation for it when was the last time you had a hot shower <laughs> yeah, a good point. One of the um, one of the huge elements for it is acclimatising to the cold water. So um, one of the huge pieces of advice is, is just have cold showers all the time whenever wow. you can. So uh, it's one of the things you, you quickly have to get used to. I mean, I started putting this into plan, as I say, 13 months ago. So when you're given this advice in June, July, August, it's not so bad. When it starts <laughs> to get around to October, November, December, <laughs> then uh, it's a different kettle of fish. But you have to, whenever possible, literally have a, a cold shower, a cold bath. Wow. So, like, I mean, that's going to be, like, an absolutely huge relief when you've finished... Like I guess I guess that's got to be high on the priority list for you, isn't it? There is. I'm, I'm asked this quite a lot. What's the first thing you're going to do? Um, as, as you know from from many years ago, I actually used to have a shaven head and I was clean shaven. I know. Um, I was I was advised to grow some hair and actually grow a beard. Not many people realise I could actually grow hair. Um, <laughs> so I'm one of the few people who's had to grow my hair for charity. I know some people shave their heads or whatever. So I've had yeah. to grow my hair for charity. Um, and I've also stopped drinking since February. I've not had a drink at all. Yeah. I'm, I'm ex army as you know of course yeah that's like that's huge for someone to abstain from alcohol for eight months being ex-army i probably could have raised ten thousand just on that uh (laughs) no one no one would have sponsored you well they were all responsive you wouldn't they because they'd never have believed it you'll never do it yeah it's like trying to find a vegetarian lion (laughs) (laughs) so yeah um choices of things to do is another uh swim the channel a have a shave b have a beer and yes probably a nice hot shower
I would be uh, very welcome. <laughs> All right, so okay, uh, the, obviously the the whole um, swim in the channel thing. Let's talk distance because um, you know when you look at it on a map from you know somebody who's not not disinterested, but someone who's not facing it, uh, you look at it and it's like a yeah a little gap of water. There's England, there's France. You know, like you could practically step over it if you look at it on a map, couldn't you? Talk to us about the distance and the time and 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 everything that's involved in in in, in the swim. Certainly. Um, point to point, the um, narrowest distance between England and France is 19 miles. Mm. So if you could literally swim straight across there, you know, that, that's the sort of distance you're looking at. Um, in reality, it's a pinch point and you've got the tides coming in and out yeah. during that swim time. Um, so you're looking at swimming a sort of S or a Z shape as the tide takes you first one way and then the other way. Yeah, hence the need for the pilot boat because obviously your personal sense of direction is going to be thrown way off because you're going to be deep in concentration swimming. Absolutely, and what you won't be able to tell while you're in the water is which way the tides are actually going. You won't know necessarily yeah. if you're trying to swim against the tide. The pilot boat and his expertise will literally be taking you with the tide. So though you swim in the S shape, at least you're not battling against the tide theoretically. Yeah. What you need to do, obviously, is land in France. Now, depending on how fast you swim, if you're not close enough to the French coast to be able to make it yeah. when the tide next turns slack, you are going to have to battle against the tide until it turns again. Otherwise, you're either going to be swept up into Denmark or sort of um, up that way or down to sort of Gambia. So, uh, <laughs> it's, again, that's yeah. the, the pilot's job. Uh, and a lot of swims are abandoned literally just off the French coast yeah. because if they haven't timed it right or it haven't been fast, fast enough their choice is literally swim against the tide for six hours or get out the water yeah now i mean the one thing i'm going to say don't take this the wrong way but when you say like um what we were saying point to point it's what if 19 miles 19 miles um which obviously is a is a huge distance but what you got to remember is that this is swimming uh, as opposed to doing a, a marathon where you're running uh, obviously you've got a lot more elements like al says you've got the tide you've got the currents you've got the sheer endurance of it you've got the cold jellyfish maybe absolutely yeah jellyfish uh, quite notoriously bad actually they're in the, the center of the channel or they seem to be yeah um doing the research so uh, and their stings can be quite nasty when captain webb swam the channel back in 1875 he got stung with one made him feel physically ill yeah so it's been able to battle against that um, yeah and there's a huge element of luck with all of this yeah um, the weather obviously being right the tight the weather can turn at any point mm. um avoiding the jellyfish so it's uh, it's a huge challenge that involves an incredible amount of luck as much as anything else see the reason i've done this is because I, I'm, I'm hoping now that uh, as a result that like we're doing the interview we're talking about what you're going through we're going to be posting this up on our website uh, which by the way uh, potential advertisers as well uh, if <laughs> gets two hundred thousand hits uh, every single month so around about six and a half thousand people every single day will uh, be clicking on the website um, we're going to make sure that that is posted up there very visibly for you because we really really obviously we want you to succeed i know you and i've like you know i know you're a determined guy a lot of strength and i know the calls that you're doing it for um you know i know that that's going to get you through a lot of it but we really want you to get over that ten thousand. That, that's the actual aim for me the yeah. the channel is just the means by which i'm going to raise that money you get that sort of uh, amount of hits you know if if everybody donates 50 pence yeah. that's undoubtedly going to get me to within that target so yeah. anything any small amount all does go directly to looking after those kids one of the things you have to appreciate if, if nobody's ever been to a children's hospice i can guarantee you've got the wrong mental impression of it mm. children's hospices are not about places to die 
they're purely focused on places to live if you have the opportunity to go and see one you'll see the kids laughing and joking usually unaware of their illnesses the staff will be making them happy they'll be playing games it's about eking out every moment of life and enjoying it yeah and when when the worst does happen when the inevitable happens because there are never any happy endings of someone who gets admitted to one of these places it is an inevitable sad ending when that sad ending does come the idea is that the parents and the grandparents and siblings have all got happy memories of, yeah. of the life that that child had yeah exactly and and there's all for also an awful lot of respite available because that journey to that sad inevitable end you know involves like you need a lot of support absolutely in- incredible in some Within these children's hospices, the overwhelming majority of children are male because uh, muscular dystrophy only strikes males. Right, okay. And it is a life-limiting disease. So you will find that uh, these children live far longer now than they used to and yes the parents do need respite you know even if it's just a week or two a weekend away some personal time for mother and father you know together to go away respite is is absolutely vital phoenix 98 fm and while we're joined in the studio just in case you're just tuning in by al gale who is next week swimming the english channel yeah he didn't just wake up and decide that uh, oh that'd be nice next week i'm gonna go and swim the channel he's been cha- training uh, very very hard for the last 13 months and you gotta hear some of the stuff that this poor man has been through i mean okay you know it's, it's self-inflicted but he's doing it for a wonderful cause remind us about the cause again what's the uh, the, the charity that you're doing it for Oh, sorry. <laughs> I'm doing it for Acorns Children's Hospice, who cared for our son Harry uh, during his brief uh, ten-month life. Okay, all right, yeah. So now this journey's taken you to a point now where uh, you've had to do some crazy things, things that you probably never ever even imagined you'd have to put your body through. Yeah, um, we mentioned earlier the cold water acclimatisation and uh, the cold baths and cold showers, but uh, it's also been able to sustain yourself in that cold water for a considerable periods of time. So swimming over the winter in the outdoor pools was was probably the worst. Yeah, um, I'm lucky that I work in London, so I've got access to some of the outdoor lidos such as Hampstead. Yeah. So getting up at sort of five six o'clock in the morning, going outside when it's pitch dark, there's ice on the ground, the cars are all iced over, crunching your way to the train station and then getting in water of around at that time five degrees oh. centigrade when you get into water like that it's like being hit in the face with a steel tray <laughs> it, it, it's incredible you, you get head freeze which most of us are familiar with yeah. your skin doesn't know exactly what to do with it at first it feels like your skin's burning um, and it, it takes a, a minute or two for the sensation your skin to realise it's actually cold um, I then had to build myself up gradually I, and eventually I could stay in that water for around an hour yeah um, but after that, I would literally crawl out of the pool. I'd sort of roll onto my side and onto all fours and manage to crawl through to the showers. <laughs> um, at that time, obviously, I did have to have a warm shower to, to warm myself through. But the physical pain at that point, you can't use your fingers. Your, your yeah. toes are, are hurting. You're in physical pain. You're shaking to the core. It's probably slightly excessive. I probably shouldn't have gone that far. But the idea was, if I can endure this now, yeah. this intense cold, then when I get in the channel with temperatures of 16, 17, 18 degrees, 
um, it's like going to feel chilly, but nothing compared to the pain that I've put myself through. Like a warm bath. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> With jellyfish and tidal currents. <laughs> exactly. So 16 hours, then, uh, is is kind of like the estimated time uh, that you're thinking the swim, you know, the fingers crossed, all goes well, 16 hours. Yep. Um, what about things like nutrition? While you, I mean, what, what, what are you going to do? 16 hours? I mean, I, I mean, I struggle to go like three hours without a bite to eat. I mean, what, what's the score with that? Yeah, you have to uh, plan and uh, to eat during your journey. Um, things have moved on since Captain Webb back in 1875. Uh, he was eating beef sandwiches and drinking ale during his journey. So like a we've, man. <laughs> we've progressed on from there. Now we have things like energy gels, um, uh, drinks, isotonic drinks, all of this sort of thing. So I have a, a good friend of mine, Alistair McLeod, will be on the boat with me. He'll be uh, passing me food. I'm not allowed to touch the boat. I'm not allowed to get out at all, so I have to tread water. So they're going to hand it to you on a stick or something? It, depending on how rough the seas are, um, yeah. if it's nice and calm, fingers crossed, I'll be able to get close enough. He's got a big fishing landing net, so he'll be able to hand it in, in containers. <laughs> I'll be able to reach in and take my food from there. If the swell's too great and I'm going to be sucked under the boat or into the propellers or anything like that, then he's literally got to launch it out, throw it to me. It'll be tied to a piece of string, the bottle or whatever, and he'll yeah. be able to pull it back in afterwards. So all of these things we've got to plan, and, I, and I've had to practice eating and swimming. Um, back in the Victorian times, they used to think that if you uh, went swimming within an hour of eating, you'd die and you'd have cramps and everything. Obviously, yeah. that's complete rubbish. Yes. And I actually have to eat literally on the go. Yeah, Mars bars. I mean, actually, if you can get hold of the food, it should be quite a nice diet, really, for that. Yeah. <laughs> well, the amount of calories I've been burning off during the training, I've, yeah. um, towards the latter parts, I've been training anywhere between four and six hours a day. Yeah. So, um, you know, my wife hated me, the fact that I've been drinking full-fat milk, eating chocolate and biscuits and... <laughs> eating pasta you know trying to put on the weight <laughs> yeah um that, that, that most women go envious about you know trying to lose very quickly then just to wrap up um because like i know you've got to get yourself back to the city for work and everything now in spite of all of this <laughs> um just because it, it's, it's uh, curious uh, for people to know i mean you know you'd think that this was like a, and i'm not saying you're old but you'd think this was like a young man's thing like a 20 something year old or a 30 something what how old are you al i'm 46 now yeah so the world record is uh seven I believe for a, a man swimming the channel so uh, yeah so there's really no excuse if you've got the motivation and you've got the determination you can do it and I really genuinely look forward to speaking to you again when all this is done and then we can kind of like you know sit back and go <sighs> Because I'm nervous for you, actually. <laughs> I'll be looking to uh, looking forward to it all being over. As again, the, the main thing is to, to raise the money, though. So yeah. um, you know, if, if how anyone... do we how do we do that? What's the absolutely the easiest way? I mean, I do have a Just Giving site, though it's more uh, awkward to remember. Easiest way is if you go to all the W's. Al Gale, so it's A L G A L E dot co dot UK. There's a link directly on there to my Just Giving site. So www.algale.co.uk. Even if it's 50p, if, if all the listeners provide 50p, it'd be fantastic to hit that 10,000 mark. Yeah, we're going to do what we can. This entire interview, we're going to put this, I'm going to put all of this together, edit it together. It's going to be up on the website. I'm going to give you your copy, obviously, and we'll tweet it, we'll Facebook it. You can do the same, and hopefully that will uh, push you to where you need to be. Al, really, seriously man i've always known you were a bit of a you know <laughs> a bit of a go-getter kind of guy i am so impressed with this and uh, i really sincerely wish you all the best and give my love to esther as well thanks for the opportunity to bring me in thanks no worries my pleasure